Time for your Saturday morning coffee with Reese Boyd. So wake me up when it's over. When I'm wiser and I'm older. All this time I was fighting myself and I didn't know I was gone. Reese Boyd is on right now. Talk 94.5. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. It is Saturday morning. Morning. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the show. I'm Reese Boyd, local attorney here in town with the firm of Davis and Boyd, attorneys at law. I'm your host for Saturday Morning Coffee. Thanks for joining us here on this edition of the program at Saturday Morning Coffee. We invite you to pour yourself a cup of your favorite coffee join us as we talk about the news current events all the things happening in your world all the things that we think uh, you need to know my what an interesting time we live in here at saturday morning coffee we are all about limited government lower taxes more freedom all the things that mean more freedom for you more freedom for me more freedom for all of us who are we the people we've got a country to save folks how more dramatic uh, can the world be uh, than it is right now. War, war is afoot. It has broken out, and uh, we are watching it from the sidelines uh, for now. Pray that it doesn't get any worse than it is right now. But we certainly have a country to save, and that should be clear and obvious to us all. And uh, so join us as we help you get your Saturday morning going, and we share with you some of the things that we think uh you need to be aware of on this Saturday morning. Joined here in the studio, as always, by producer extraordinaire, Dr. Glenn Dye. Good morning. Dr. Dye, how are you? I'm doing great, Reese. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing pretty good, doing pretty good. What's the uh, cafe du jour this morning? (laughs) Tiger's blood. (laughs) No, it's um, um, Costco. Costco blood. Yeah. Very good. All right. Very good. I'm uh, I'm uh, sipping some of my usual here this morning, some of my favorite Dunkin' blend. Looks like a light blend to me from Mm. here. A little lighter this morning. Yeah, didn't, lighter. I didn't do a very good job brewing it uh, this morning. It's uh, not my favorite, well. not my best effort, but it's uh, it, it'll it'll get me going. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is, of course, the smooth, mellifluous voice of Dr. Glenn Dye uh, here on the program. We invite you guys to join the show. Share with us your thoughts. Let us know what you're uh, drinking. The call-in line, as always, 843-903-2945. You can text your comments to the show 843-798-TALK. That's 843-798-8255. Join us on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter. The Twitter handle is at Reese Boyd. You can also email your comments to the show. Show email address is SMC at gmail.com. That's SMC at gmail.com. Many of you like to call during normal more normal hours, business hours, any of the, any 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 day of the week you want to reach your humble host, you can find me at the day job at the offices of Davis and Boyd, attorneys at law. That number here in Myrtle Beach is 843-839-9800. I met with a couple of you guys this week who had reached out about some legal issues going on with your businesses and in your personal 
uh, space. We're always happy to hear from you just about show matters, talk about politics, always an interest. Or if you need help with legal affairs, feel free to give me a call at the office. Always love to hear from you guys. Also want to remind you that Saturday Morning Coffee is also available as a podcast. You can find Saturday Morning Coffee in the, uh, in the Google Podcast. You can also find it on Apple CarPlay and Apple Podcast. Just wherever your podcast player of choice uh, may take you, uh, enter Saturday Morning Coffee in the search bar and look for the familiar blue and red coffee cup logo. And I'm sure you'll be able to find us. If you can't, drop me an email and I'll give you some more precise instructions. Uh, I'm an Apple guy, so I always uh, put uh, the podcast that I want to listen to into my CarPlay, and I just love it. It's uh, it's great. It's available on demand. And this week, Glenn, going to have a little twist. Not going to do any contest on the radio broadcast, but we're going to add a couple of contests into the podcast. Ah, so you guys attract some attention. Yeah, attract some more attention to the podcast. So if you happen to miss the show, be sure to catch the podcast, and uh, we'll have some contests that are available uh, through that. So when you see that familiar uh, blue and red coffee cup logo, click listen now, or even better. Click uh, subscribe, and we uh, hope you'll uh, enjoy the podcast as well. As we often say on this show, folks, freedom hangs in the balance. And what we have seen recently in Canada and now this week in Ukraine, it is unbelievably clear and obvious uh, to us all. Freedom literally hangs in the balance. And, you know, one of the things that I've thought about what's happened in Canada, and we've said this on the show, Glenn, but it, it is left me nearly speechless because if on the face of it, Canada is a constitutional republic. Mm-hmm. Democratic. Just like a constitutional yeah. democratic, little d, mm-hmm. democratic yeah. republic, just like we are. Yeah, I know. With with a nearly, I won't say equivalent, but a nearly equivalent view of freedom, democracy, individual liberty, and the rule of law that we have. Yeah, we've always respected Canada. We've always thought highly of Canada. Yeah, they're a little weird. But other than that, we've thought they were great neighbors to have. They've got the whole French Quebec thing going on, mm-hmm. always a little dicey uh, in in certain parts of Canada. But nonetheless, yeah, they're not that far removed from our own family tree, right. you know, historically speaking. Uh, we share common roots, and it is unbelievable to me in a, in a republic, in a, in a modern Western democracy. I mean, think about it. When you think of Western democracies, you think of the U.S. and then right on almost an equivalent plane you think of great britain and canada right and and to think that what we have seen happen in canada with essentially martial law being declared Mm -hmm. with people's bank accounts being seized without due process right just taking their money because you don't like what they're doing and let's remember we talked about this on the liz show yesterday morning we were talking about truckers peaceably assembling and basically setting up uh bouncy castles and and not doing anything that's destructive of anything. I mean, they didn't burn a single building down. Yep. They didn't break a single window. I haven't. I've yet to hear a single uh, shop owner or business owner complain about the behavior of the truckers that were that were participating in the Ottawa assembly. Mm-hmm. And let's remember, this is a constitutional right that is protected. And and in the face of that, you've seen the Canadian government. And an astonishing number of their elected representatives, what, 185 members of parliament, vote for emergency measures. And, and, I'm, and, and the thing that is astonishing to me, and how do we answer this question? If that can happen in Canada, Glenn, 
with the rule of law and the constitutional republic that they have had established for nearly as long as we have, if that can happen in Canada, it can happen here. Absolutely. Especially with some of the leadership we have right now. Absolutely. You know? And and one would argue, one could argue that in some of the blue states, it has happened yeah. here. So it's a huge concern, folks. And and so freedom literally does hang in the balance. And and some would say freedom's not only hanging in the balance, but it's being taken away in certain areas of this country. It has been taken away. And it's time for that to stop. I mean, this thing, this this whole thing with lockdowns and 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 mandates and restrictions, game over. I'm yeah. I'm over it. Yeah. It's time for life to go back to normal. Of course, here in the States, we have our own, the People's Convoy, now making its way. I think they're in Arizona, uh, now making their way toward D.C. A lot of speculation as to how that's going to play out. Well, they're worried in D.C. because fences are going up around the Capitol again. Yeah. You know, yeah. which that does not show freedom, democracy. Um, it just, it, it is a stain um, on our, it, it, after January 6th, you know, we saw all the fences go up. And we, I know that was just a play. It was, it wasn't for real. It was an act of of putting the fences up around the Capitol. Yeah, and it was I all believe, show and theater. I, I believe right now that it was theater. It's more theater. Yeah. yeah. Well, and one one would ask uh, the the legitimate question. They're they're so cognizant now of threats to the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Uh, Glenn, where were they on January sixth when there was credible intelligence that said, "Look, this is going to be a dangerous situation," and and when you see the video footage from January 6th and the crowd reaches the outskirts, the outer boundary of the perimeter, the security perimeter for the, for the Capitol. And you see like three or four Capitol police officers, there, plain clothes mm-hmm. and, and basically in cart with card tables, you know, uh, you know, the, 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 the heaviest uh, barricade around them are card tables. I mean, they look like a welcome wagon for a PTA <laughs> festival, you know? And so you have to ask yourself, what was up with that? I don't know. They, they don't, we know more about protecting the Capitol, but that's a whole other story, folks. We have got a just a great show coming up for you today. Um, of course, we're going to be talking about uh, war unfolding in the Ukraine right before our very eyes. Uh, we're going to be talking with uh, Scott Pyle of Pyle Financial Services, one of the show sponsors going to be joining us. Pyle, uh, Scott is a just a brilliant uh, financial analyst, and he's going to be sharing with us what uh, the Ukraine situation means for us in the pocketbook, how it's going to be impacting markets uh, potentially we're also going to be talking to annie quiner annie has an amazing story about how she struggled to get her husband scott quiner the care that he needed and deserved when he became afflicted with covid19 and a little later in the show we're going to be joined by former congressman john napier who used to represent the pd in congress and john's going to be sharing some political stories with your humble host so we're looking forward to all that great show coming up Stick with us after these words from our sponsors. We'll be right back with more Saturday Morning Coffee. I'm Reese Boyd. That's Glenn Dye. Don't leave town.
Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. I'm uh, happy to uh, have with me here in the studio this morning special guest Scott Pyle. Scott is uh, the chief officer of Pyle Financial Services and uh, a sponsor of the program, a friend of the program, and one of the smartest guys I know. Always happy to have Scott in the uh studio with us good morning scott how are you uh good morning reese but obviously i think you need to hang out with more people if i'm the <laughs> smartest guy you know <laughs> you know somebody um this is a funny story not directly related to anything that you and i are talking about but i we have a i don't know that you may or may not know him and i'm not going to call him out but he called me one day and he said uh he said reese i want you to know that you used to be the smartest guy i knew <laughs> And I said, really? That's an interesting way to open a conversation. And then he said, but no, but then I met this other guy, and I'm not going to embarrass that guy. Uh He said, you're not the smartest guy I know anymore. Yeah, there you go. Well, you know, they say if you're in charge and you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Absolutely. (laughs) So, um, obviously, Scott, a lot going on this week. We've all been watching the the televisions, the screens, all the screens we have around us, our computer monitors, our our iPads, our phones, watching with uh, sort of a little bit of apprehension for most of us, I think, uh, looking at what's going on in in Ukraine. And I feel like in many ways, I'm reminded of when when I was much younger, uh, when I was very young, as I I can remember the uh, outbreak of war in the in the desert storm and yeah, desert shock and awe yeah shock and awe and it's kind of it, it kind of has that same feel i haven't it's been a long time since we saw basically war breaking out on television it's so true and you know and we watch it on television and it is kind of like a movie it's it's removed and the think about the personal tragedy that's going on inside the country of ukraine and uh and even the the salesmanship that's going on probably within Russia that we have no idea about, about yeah. what's really going on. Yeah, there's uh, so much we were talking. I was on the Liz Callaway show on Friday morning, and what we are getting is just a small piece. Small piece. Of, of reality, and, and we're trying to piece this together based on very limited information. But one thing I think we should all do well to remember is to pray for the people yes. of Ukraine. I mean, this is this is obviously real families. I, I saw some heartbreaking breaking stories about um, folks that were, you know, families being torn apart, fathers being separated. They're, they're apparently horrible. Uh, letting women and children out of the country, but men are being restricted. You're having families that are being broken up. It's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a horrible, it's, it's a horrific treasury. It tra- really tragedy. Is. Yeah. yeah or really going is. to bed on Wednesday evening and not waking up because you were killed overnight. It's bombing. I mean, can you, I just can't. No, it, it, it's heartbreaking. And the images are in real time. We are seeing what is going on in real time. And like you say, it's just a little snippet. Just, there's going to be a lot more terrible information come out of that region. Yeah. yeah. And of course, Ukraine President Zelensky uh, came on. He, he did a, sh- uh, a live video feed on the internet on Friday night. He said, "We're still in Kiev. We're here. We are defending Ukraine." He struck a defiant chord as he pointed out the men with him and their positions, noting that they are all leaders and ministers of the government, and that none of them have fled. We're all here, Zelensky said. We're in Kiev. We are defending Ukraine. Basically, saying we are here to stay. But there is, uh, you know, it, it's phenomenal. One of the, the things that I have noticed in this is if Russia will do this, tyranny is is always going to act when there's a vacuum. 
It really does. You know, the, the, the weakness or the opportunity that he saw, he saw something. And it's hard for us to get in the mind of, of Putin, but he jumped into this vacuum. Um, and why did he do it now? And it seemed like we saw the precursor of invade, not invade, um, what's going to happen. And now it's happening before our eyes. It, it really is a tragedy. Well, and it seems to me, Scott, tell me what you think about this. It seems to me that the U.S. has really done a disservice to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, um, in, a, in, in my mind, we have contributed to this conflict. We it, have not detracted it from the likelihood. Like, it really seems like. It seems like we almost um, laid out a carpet for them to walk across. Like, they're going to do it. Yeah, they're going to do, do it. We Here know it who's going to do it. They're going to do it. And, and Goodness if, gracious. And if I was Putin sitting back in the in the Kremlin, I would say, they keep telling me to do it. I, I guess they want me to do it. It sure did seem that way, didn't it? Yeah. And and I'm thinking to myself, when you've got people on both sides of the of the equation, on both sides mm. of the table, and I've seen quotes coming. I, I saw the ambassador from Ukraine make a comment along these lines. There were people in, on the Russian side who said these things. Why don't y'all just be quiet talking to the Americans, talking to the yep. State Department? Yep. Yeah. Why, why don't y'all just be quiet, pipe mm-hmm. down? You're not helping. And yeah, so it's almost like you're encouraging. And then you see these ministers, they're handing out rifles and weapons and saying, I'm going to stay and fight. These are right. ministers. That would be our our congressional members. Imagine yeah. some of our elected officials. Would they be even accepting a rifle no. No. at this time? And, uh, and how do you think the Taiwanese people feel right now? Right. Because China is seeing what's going on. They're seeing the weakness of American, our president, yeah. right now. And I would say that, that Taiwan is next on the list. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And it will be interesting to see, Glenn, what happens. One of the things that I was really struck by, and I think mm. this is a response, Scott. Let me know what you think. I think this is a response when Putin saw when Putin saw. What a mess the Biden administration made of Afghanistan. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's when somebody in the Kremlin decided, you know, we can get away with this. You're not going to find anybody to disagree with you on that. I think that is an absolute history will most certainly very rare. Can you say most certainly before it is written and interviewed? But the moment Afghanistan fell and let's not evacuation that was just horrible the way it went down. It fell. Um, I can't imagine all of our enemies around the world going, what can we do? Yeah, exactly. And and one of the things you have to imagine, how could we have messed that up mm. any worse? And and people like China are watching. Absolutely. I know they are. And, and China's now watching. You know, they had the, you had the phone call between Biden and Zelensky. I don't have any confidence in what we're about to do for them. Biden is talking about strenuous sanctions. But, but he I, won't sanction Putin. Yeah. And so what is it really but going Swift, to— Swift, right? Per, or right. Swift. Yeah. Let's do, the, let's do everything except the two that will really <laughs> shut him down. Yeah. yeah. And so what is it really going to accomplish? And frankly, Russia doesn't really need us economically, do they? Well, it's real interesting when you look at the economy. And, and that's—think about this. What Would you believe that the Russian economy— is only the size of the state of Florida's economy. Wow. So, and Ukraine... I did not know it was that small. It's, no. it's just small. That's very and, small, yeah. And Ukraine's economy is the same size as Washington, D.C.'s economy. And I mean the local. 
yeah. economy. And so the sad thing is, from a world perspective, we could shut down Russia and Ukraine's economy for two years. It'd be like shutting down Florida and Washington, D.C. The rest of the world's not going to notice that economic impact. And, I think- and so we don't have leverage there because yeah. he it, it will hurt him, but he has oil and the Green New Deal and the anti-U.S. energy policies have led to strengthening his economic coffers yeah. to go to war. Oh, yeah. And it seems to me, Scott, one of the things, the real danger, and I want to get into this a little bit more with you because that's one of the reasons we invited you to come on the show, is the danger to markets, to people's pocketbooks. I mean, it's already we already see the impact at the gas pump. Yes. I mean, gas is up just over the last couple of days. I don't know how long that will stay. But, you know, one of the things that I think is really potentially devastating is, again, it's not just necessarily what will happen in Ukraine, but other people are watching. Iran is watching. Oh, absolutely. China is watching. And if yes. if I think Putin seized an opportunity based on what he saw in Afghanistan, if other tyrants around the world see an opportunity based on what they see in Ukraine, they'll seize that opportunity. And at some point, it becomes really dangerous for us. At some point, you know, you become a, it becomes a desperate situation. And, and you've already got Putin saying, hey, we're a nuclear power. I mean, that's pretty scary language. I don't like I think those the, words, the, you know? if, if there's a silver lining, uh, it would be that our previous president and administration strengthened NATO so much compared to the Obama administration. President Trump came in and got NATO congealed and strong around new budget policies and paying your fair share. And I believe the weakness of our current president makes NATO have to come together and step forward stronger in Europe and draw the line. Because we know this administration doesn't live up to red lines from President Obama drawing a red line when Vice President Joe Biden uh, was in the White House. So I don't think our red line will speak anything to anyone anywhere. It will take NATO to stop uh, Russia from stepping across the Ukrainian border. And and if they, well, and if they do have a successful mission in the Ukraine, I'd be concerned about what does Putin do next? That's it. NATO would have to stop them from stepping across that next border. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, we're going to be in a war. Oh, absolutely. And it is not going to be pretty. Yeah. Um, My fear is that our president will go off script during a speech and say something really stupid and 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 possibly cost us our country. Well, yesterday's speech was an absolute disaster. The, the speech Thursday was an absolute disaster. Yeah. There's so, no teeth in it. Yeah. Um, Scott, would you be able to stick with us for a few more minutes? That sounds great. All right. Love got to. A, got a few more questions for you that we'd love to sh- share with our guest to ask you. A few folks uh, uh, will hang through another break. We'll be back after these words from our sponsors with more Saturday morning coffee and more Scott Pyle. I'm Reese Boyd. That's Glenn Dye. Don't leave town. Below the ground, way down, it's cold and it's dark. But a nose is way around, and the mazes of the underground are no match for him. But it looks just like a traveler who hasn't showered in a while. 
Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. Thanks for joining us here on the show. We're talking to Scott Pyle with Pyle Financial Services. And, of course, just before the break, Scott, we were talking about the ongoing um, struggle, war breaking out between Russia and Ukraine right before Mm -hmm. our very eyes. And, of course, I think the death toll now approaching uh, 200. Uh, Zelensky has uh, indicated that he will... Uh, fight. He's going to defend Kiev and is uh, going to be joined by his uh, his ministers and is not going to give up the ship. Uh, one of the things we talked about is the impact, of course, on the markets. Everybody's asking, what can we anticipate? Of course, Friday, the market had a good day. And, yeah. and it seems as though it kind of shrugged it off. But obviously, this is not going to go away. This is going to be an, an ongoing thing. I, I would love for it to go away. It seems like it's going to persist for some period of time. What what should people be thinking about or what do you see as the we talked about this a little bit sure. uh, before the break the, the economies are not that big but what is the real risk in terms of uh, pocketbook issues for most folks it's really interesting we went back and did a study um, as we kept hearing about possible invasion and looked back to the Vietnam War and the invasions actually as sad as it is to say it's not that we want war but Invasion Day would have been a good day to invest in the markets in history. Gulf hmm. War, even the Crimea, yep. a Russian takeover. And it's when you look at what's going on during war, we spend money or someone spends money to blow things up. And then they take over and spend money to rebuild. And so when you think about what drives markets, it's consumption and money flow. And when you consume... You spend money, and then profits follow, and really it's about profits. And so the markets have had two good days, including Invasion Day. Yeah. And are there things that people can do or should do? Is it is it just kind of business as usual? What's the best strategy? to? I mean, I know you can't advise people That's right. over well, the radio. But. Well, if you think about, number one, I always say have a trusted advisor team. Yeah. Um, the second thing is, you should always have liquidity in your investments where you never have to sell during a short-term emotional dip in the market. The reason we make more money in the stock market than you do in treasuries and bonds is because more volatility and more risk. And the risk is the risk of loss if you get pressured to sell when things are down. So always have liquidity in your portfolio. Is, is Cash is still king in the United States. Yeah, but we still like stocks for long term. We think the Dow Jones Industrial over the next twelve to eighteen months, based on earnings, based on what we know today, could reach forty thousand. Yeah, you know, one of the things I was thinking about this week, Scott, and I was reminded when I realized that you were going to be coming in for an an interview um, today, this Saturday. We we, you know, we talk about on your. Um, the, the, the times that we're together here on this, in the studio to talk about Pyle Financial, you guys have a saying that really speaks to me. It, you talk about aligning wealth with purpose. Yes. And one of the things that I've noticed in recent weeks in looking at the Biden administration, looking at what this country is doing or not doing, we are not aligned with our purpose as a nation. Sure doesn't seem like it. It just doesn't seem like it, does it? And, it does. And, and when you align your assets and your and your and your purpose and your energy 
uh, excuse me, when you align your assets and your energy and your effort with your purpose, uh, you will bear fruit. You will. And and we were talking about this today with a group uh, out of state is there's a sense of fulfillment that comes with purpose. Um, when you are aligning your resources, your wealth, your gifts, your talents with what pierces your heart, what's important to you as a human being, mm-hmm. that's where fulfillment comes. And we really spend the time getting to know our our clients, obviously, but prospective clients so that we can put together a process and a plan that takes their wealth and aligns it with their purpose, not some cookie cutter. Yeah. Yeah, it's a that's a great approach. And as we were reflecting, we've been talking uh, in many different settings uh, on this station here in this studio this week. We were I was with Liz and been talking to other people and you you reflect on how it feels like we have uh, somehow lost our way as a country on many levels. And Mm. because I think we have become unaligned with our purpose, our purpose, we are, we are a bastion of freedom. We are the last best hope for freedom on this planet. It's uh, it's not a perfect nation, but we are the last best hope for freedom. And, and we are not doing a good job. We have, we have not borne fruit. In, in preventing this conflict in, in Ukraine? Yeah, you know, you say uh, we are not a perfect nation. I think that's a great statement. And if we remember, it says to form a more perfect mm. union. More perfect, absolutely. No, which by, the, by that statement says we will never be perfect. We are human. We are made up of a bunch of flawed, messed up people we trying to form. Broken folk. We are broken. Trying to form a more perfect More union. perfect. Yeah. And, and so when you take that posture, and I think that's a huge posture difference between saying we're not perfect. No, none of us are perfect. And so trying to form a more perfect union, and you think about the invasion that's going on in Ukraine. I'm curious how many people have invaded our southern border on headcount versus how many people have invaded Ukraine with force. Mm-hmm. And, and we forget that an invasion may be going on in our country. It's just there's not rockets flying and bombs blowing up, but there seems to be um, a little bit of we're more concerned, possibly, of about the borders of Ukraine than our own country. Yep. Well, and it occurs to me, Scott, as I, as I, as I reflect, and there's so much to reflect on, but I, I think back about just a year ago and 18 months ago, but, but really not that long ago, as you said, there was no southern border invasion. We, we, we had, a, we had a, a government that was working to secure our southern border. Gas was $1.75 a gallon. We had no war in the Ukraine. Inflation was a very manageable what just under oh, two under two percent absolutely and and we had not we had not devalued our con- our, our our currency excuse me by by monetary creation Four and just six trillion blowing six trillion dollars out of the back of a tailpipe don't yeah. forget energy independence as yeah, well and we were energy independent yeah. big time yeah and, and that, so that's something i think that really needs to be brought back that would that would hurt putin if we became another energy, like we were two years ago. That was a year and a half ago. A year and a half. A year year and a half. 18 months. 18, it's unbelievable. And we were infinitely more secure as a nation than we are today. It is, it is amazing how quick things have changed. And I I think of the, 
the individuals out there that were upset about offensive tweets, what would you rather have right now? Offensive tweets or the teleprompter character we have in, in the White House? An empty suit. An empty yeah. suit. Before yeah. we went on the air yeah. today, Reese and I had a conversation about what we're seeing yeah. in social media, mm. that there are people now that are sorry that they voted for Joe, Joe Biden. They are wishing to to have Donald Trump back because they know for a fact this would not be happening. Is that called buyer's remorse? It is, is buyer's remorse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and Voter how, remorse. How can you not be? Oh. I mean, yeah. you, you have to be creating a serious reality distortion field around you in order to be happy about the Biden administration. Yeah, but just imagine how, or remember how people were about Joe Biden getting yeah. elected, and now they're having that buyer's remorse. Yeah. It's, it's a new day for sure, and we need to um, embrace our freedom. And I know that there's a lot of complaining about what's going on in our country, but I have the privilege of traveling the world and working with uh, presidents and congresses and leaders of uh, other countries, and they cherish and they are um, not jealous, but they admire the freedom that we have, yep. that we sit in the middle of, and don't act for others who don't have the same freedom. Yeah. Excellent point. Scott, anything else you want to share with our listeners? Let me ask you this question. If folks want to find you at Pyle Financial Services, how can they get in touch? Yeah, so our our phone number is 843-945-4480, or they can go to pilefinancial.com and uh, set up a time. Come in, meet with one of our financial advisors, go through the process. You know, the, the process is free. We get to know you and then decide, do we want to form a long-term relationship? Excellent. Very good. Well, Scott, I listen, I always enjoy talking to you. You always Thank have you. great insight, and we appreciate your uh, input on, on, on this issue. So come back on the show anytime. Thanks. Love your show, Reese. Keep it up. Scott, Thanks. I have a question for oh, you. Have, yes, you sir. have you taken in billions on Prime yet? Yeah, love billions. Okay. Absolutely. And, and that goes back to what you said originally. The premise of the show is that he earned his billions on 9-11. Yes. When, when the stuff went, when crap went down, that's when he acted. And, yeah, people don't like it, but. It's the opportunity of fear and, and greed. But I will say, it's interesting you mentioned billions. I was on the phone today with a gentleman that was trained by the real-life Ari. Oh. And Ari is the attorney that the female is playing. So mm -hmm. she's playing a role that in real life was a man. Was a man. But they use Ari for another character in the movie. And I was on the phone with a gentleman today who's trained some of the, matter of fact, the top two firms by the Forbes list wow. in the United States. I was on with him today, and he was trained by that psychologist in the movie that's played by. Great show. Yeah, yeah. it really is. Yeah, yeah. So that's Billions on Prime, Prime. Amazon Prime. Prime. Yep, yeah. there's uh, six seasons, so you're a little behind. Yeah, yeah. but behind. you know what? You can really binge it now. <laughs> I can, we, can, we can have a, a Prime binging party. That's Scott, it. thanks again. Thanks, Come Reese. back on the show anytime, folks. It's Scott Powell, Powell Financial Services, aligning wealth with purpose. Uh, get in touch if you would like to uh, have them counsel you in that regard. This is Saturday Morning Coffee. I'm Reese Boyd. That's Glenn Dye. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. Don't leave town. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, if you've been hearing the same old voice of the same old lies, if you're trying to feel the same old 
Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. Thanks for joining us here on the show. We are um, having a great time talking to Scott Pyle this morning. I want to thank Scott for coming in. Uh, very interesting interview, Scott's with uh, Pyle Financial Services, and I encourage you all to uh, check Scott out and the rest of the folks at, at, at Pyle Financial. They can really give you uh, a, a great consult if you're in the market for some some great financial advice. Uh, we've got a lot of guests this morning. A little bit later, just in a few moments, we're going to be talking to John Napier. John is a former United States congressman who represented the PD in Congress and is going to be uh, joining us here on the program. We're going to talk a little politics and share some old personal stories. And so I'm excited to have John join us on the program today. But right now, I'm also uh, joined on the program by Annie Quiner. Annie is an individual who has a great story to tell I was sitting at my desk uh, a few weeks ago, and I was listening uh, to Glenn Beck, as I often listen to uh, the radio during the workday, just keep it playing in the background. And I heard, I did not know her at the time, but I heard Annie come on the Glenn Beck program and tell of the, the story of her struggles with her husband, Scott, to find adequate uh, medical treatment for Scott, who was at the time suffering from COVID. Uh, sadly, Scott has since passed away. But I literally was awestruck by uh, the interview that Glenn uh, gave with Annie and uh, reached out to her. I, I literally had to put everything that I was working on down and and give her my undivided attention. And you're going to want to do the same thing when you hear her story. Um, and it's just an honor and a privilege to have her on the show with us this morning. Good, good morning, Annie. How are you? Hi. Thank you, Reese. Um, I'm doing okay. Um, I am still a little in shock about everything that happened. I mean, it was it was a long ordeal for me, yeah. you know. And um, so, yeah, I'm doing okay. I mean, our families, you know, we're strong. You know, we're 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 hanging in there, so we'll get through this. Well, good. And I I want to thank you for for the you know a sharing your time with us. I know it's a, it's it's not an easy time, but also just for being willing to have the the courage to, to stand up and, and share your story. And it's an amazing story. I, I know we don't have a, a ton of time here on the program, but tell folks you were living with Scott in Minnesota. Y'all have a family, you live there. And, but Scott, unfortunately came down with COVID and just kind of tell folks briefly, if you can, what, what, what that experience entailed. Okay. I'm um, just, thank you um, again, Ray, for um, allowing me to, to share my story about Scott. Yeah. Um, so basically um, around October 25th, uh, Scott had had bronchitis in the past, and so um, he was coughing. Uh, he sounded like he was going to cough up a lung when he just thought maybe it was bronchitis. And three people that he worked with had tested for COVID, so he did a COVID test for his work and found out that he had COVID. And so um, we um, we got him on some ivermectin steroids, and um, I had one of those uh, pulsometers, and his oxygen levels were just not going up. And so um, I had looked into a hospital locally that I thought was independent. So on October 29th, I brought him down there and um, dropped him off, and they took him away. I didn't see him for an entire week. 
And um, he did text me, and he said, it's a good thing I came in. My, they said my oxygen levels are up. So um, they put him, the next thing I know, um, that was the 29th. And then um, on the November 2nd, his oxygen levels were at 92. And they still put him on a high-flow nasal. And on November 3rd, he was put on a BiPAP machine. And um, I had recently got his um, billing, the billing statement, and they took away his ivermectin, they took away his steroids, and they gave him some uh, dethamexasone. And um, if you look at drugs.com, it's a precursor to a ventilator. So yep. fast these, forward, these, are, these are basically um, tranquilizers, correct? Yeah, exactly. They're psychotic drugs. So they told him that he had a lot of anxiety. So what they did is they gave him an IV. And after they give you the IV of the dexamethasone, uh, it's like a tranquilizer. And then they started pumping in heavy do- doses of propofol, fentanyl, versus They put him on a paralytic, um, all kinds of uh, leprosep, whatever that is, leprosepazine or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Anyway, lots of – so in one week, it was nineteen, oh, probably $19,000 in medications in one week in that hospital, the first hospital. And he wasn't getting – go ahead. No, no. And he basically, um, on November 4th, they put him on a ventilator and a feeding tube and called me and said um, that um, they were going to transfer him to Mercy Hospital, which is the second hospital he was in, on November 6th. And um, he, so when they called me and said, oh, I can go see him. So finally I went down there and um, I didn't really know what was going on. I had heard about COVID and their CDC protocols about all the drugs and medications that they were giving people. But I didn't, I thought it was random. I didn't think it was like almost every, if anybody has any hospital in the United States that they know they're actually treating COVID patients other than Dr. Verone at Houston United Medical, then please tell me. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> right now I don't know any hospitals that are not doing that. And so I was begging them. I went down there and they, all I saw was them drugging him up over and over again. And I said, what are you guys going to do to wean him off? And I was begging for any vitamin C even, and they would not give it to me. They said, that is not our protocol. Mm. Well, then they ended up taking him, uh, they ended up on December 6th giving him a trade. Andy, we've got to take a a short commercial break. Can you stick with us through the break and we'll come back with with more? Okay. Very good, folks. We're talking to Annie Quiner telling her story about her experience with her husband, Scott. Stick with us. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors with more Saturday morning coffee. I'm Reese Boyd. Don't leave town. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee. Little John Hyatt for you on your Saturday morning. Nice little piece there from John. Wanted to uh, thank Annie Quiner for joining us here on the show. We're having a uh, just a real special guest here this morning to uh, share with us her 
story, what a compelling story she uh, has about her experience with her husband, Scott. Uh, and so, Annie, thanks again for joining us. Um, you know, I, I do a fair amount of elder law work. We do a fair amount of elder law work in our firm. I, other attorneys also there do it, but uh, handle that part of the practice as well. But I've actually uh, litigated a few of these cases, and but I have, and I've been involved in situations where we've seen uh, people uh, not get the treatment that I think they would have wanted, and that's a heartbreaking. Uh, it's just a Mm -hmm. just an incredibly frustrating situation, but I've never heard a case quite as dramatic as yours. And so you were in Mercy Hospital. They transferred uh, your husband, Scott, to Mercy, Mm -hmm. and you're trying to get him the therapeutic treatments, the things that you think will help. And they seem intent on giving him tranquilizers and getting him uh, Mm -hmm. on a vent. Mm -hmm. And and obviously we know Mm -hmm. that if you have COVID and you wind up on a vent, you're basically done. That's not where you want to be. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, but you were mentioning protocols that they were, you, you're trying to get your husband treated the way you want him to be treated. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. they're telling you about protocols. What, what is driving this? When you say protocols, what, what are you referring to? Um, I mean, I was, I basically was asking for even vitamin C yeah. or vitamin D, you know, and because I saw that they were only giving him like protein packets. And Osmolite, and I, and it's you know high fructose corn syrup basically, and a few vitamins. Yeah. And I said, this is not enough nutrients. I know, you know, and I, I was begging them, and all they wanted to do was me to sign the DNR or put them in comfort care. And yeah. I said, no. I said I will have you. I had a release of liability, and I had the supplements. I even had the glu- I had glutathione that I ordered from a compound pharmacy. And I said, I will release the hospital of all liability if you will try this. And they, so they said, no, we're going to, we want you to, they were looking into palliative care. Mm-hmm. So they had me meet with the ethics committee and the doctor. And I brought my pastor along because I knew that they were going to try to corner me. And that's all that they were doing the whole time of the meeting. And I had my patient advocate on the phone that I had hired because it was so out of control with these doctors. Yeah. It was and, not and just so, anything just so everybody, Just so everyone understands, when you say they wanted you to sign the DNR, you're talking about a do not resuscitate order, which they wanted they you to sign. They wanted to turn off the ventilator and yeah. have my family sit there and watch him die in front of us. Mm. Unbelievable. And, so and I just forward, wanted to, yeah, I wanted to so, clarify when you say that, because not everybody knows yeah. the lingo, maybe. And so we want to clarify what they're asking you to do, which right, is nice. basically asking yeah. you to for your permission to to turn off the to turn off the, the life support. Yeah. And they even told my family members who showed up in the room and I wasn't there. You know, have you have you considered comfort care? Why is Annie being so difficult they, that I was the difficult wife? They even wrote that in his progress notes how difficult I was only because I was arguing with them and asking them for better care for him. And they would not respond. The only thing that they did. So I had to fire the same doctor five times because she, every time I would try to get her out of the room and say, I do not, she's not in, she's not in the best best interest of saving him. All she wants to do is for me to sign the DNR and put him in comfort care. So I fired her. I fired another doctor. I had a nurse that I had fired because he said to me over the phone before they put the trach in Scott, they said, he said, you know, they're going to put him in on a trach. If you decide that you, if you bring him home and you decide, decide that you can't deal with it anymore, all you have to do is not clean the trach. He'll die of pneumonia and you won't have to deal with it anymore. That's what he said to me on oh the phone. Goodness. So I went back to the hospital and I told the nurse yeah. and the other doctors, do you think that they didn't have say anything to him? 
I said, I do not want that man back in my room. If, if he says that to me, I do not trust him. Yeah. So, so fast forward up to December 22nd. So, well, let me, let me ask you this you question. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but so that's okay. No. At this point, he's still at mercy, correct? Correct. And, yes. but, but eventually yes. you had to, you had to hire a lawyer and bring suit to get him right out of yep. mercy. Yep. They wanted to, they called me again. And this time I, they wanted to set up another meeting with me. And I said, no, I said, I, so I was at home and they called me and I, I recorded the conversation from the hospital calling me, telling me that they were going to disconnect Scott's ventilator on January 13th at noon. And I objected to it. So then I talked to my patient advocate and I took those two recordings and they sent it over to Stu Peters because they said they're, they're going to do this and let, whether you're there or not. They said, you have to go on social media. So I did. So I went on to Stu Peters. This thing went viral. People started calling the hospital. There was like hundreds of thousands of people. They shut the phone lines down at the hospital, you know, from oh all goodness. these people calling them. And they had a bomb threat at the hospital that day. Uh, mm. The bomb squad showed up. It was like, and so anyway, they, the, 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 there's a high powering law firm in town. It's uh, Fredrickson and Lodge, downtown Minneapolis. And they, they bounced back and they said, you know, that they were objecting to my filing and they were in support of it, you know, that they were supporting the hospital turning off the ventilator. Turning off the ventilator. So that was attempted murder. Is it anybody yeah, ever so, point out the irony that they call this place Mercy Hospital? Yes, they call it Merciless. <laughs> mercy, yeah, merciless I, mercy is not the yeah. word. Mercy is not the word I would choose. But yeah, so no. So how did you? If they did, you have a hearing? How so, how did the court case get uh, resolved? Oh, so my actually on January thirteenth or that. So my attorney filed a restraining order, and then the judge favored in our court it was an ex parte i guess you call it mm -hmm. whatever that is yeah so yeah. the ex parte restraining order and so then um they had until noon the next day i guess and that's when they said you know that they were going to um it was in my favor so that it was basically at 10 o'clock the next morning before because they were going to turn it off at noon that we won the court case that they were not wow. going to turn off the ventilator. Then they put on Scott's charge that he was going to be discharged on the 15th. And I said, he doesn't have a discharge date. You know, why are you putting that on his progress notes? You know, and mm -hmm. so then we were in the process and we were trying. There was a lot of things that took place that we had to, um, you know, there was a, we were, we finally got the approval to transfer him to the hospital in um, Houston, Texas. Yeah. Dr. Veroma, they needed a bed and so they had to release something for because of the bed situation and so we, we finally got the approval but the do, the hospital would not release him mercy they kept saying, mercy we're going to wait till the 16th mercy would not release him yeah. they kept telling us that they were going to release him on the 16th and i said no we want him now because yeah. we knew that time was running out sure. and i knew he was critically ill yeah and, so, and why texas um, why I, texas by the way uh because i had heard from many people that knew dr verone that live in the south texas area that said mm. that he's treated a lot of patients and so I started following up with that, and he was the only hospital that I knew that was going to use ivermectin, hydrochloroquine, and, you know, zinc, and, you know, high doses of uh, vitamin C, IV. He was the only doctor that I knew of in the whole United States that oh. actually does this protocol that has helped people. Yeah. So uh, we did the lifelink, and there was a lot of concerns about whether he was healthy or not. You know, there was no beds. And so we finally got the approval. So we, I had to go down to the hospital. 
you know, the EMT, um, they, they hooked him up. They only gave him two IV tanks, by the way, um, on the LifeLink. And because I went along, we actually had to stop and refuel halfway. So they were running out of oxygen. When we landed, he, uh, he lost pulse. Um, the ambulance was a half an hour late. They, they finally, after all this drama, and I was on my knees praying because they, they yeah. actually got it. They got the oxygen back onto him. We flew to the hospital at United Methodist, and Dr. Verone um, came in, and he said, I'm going to spend some time with uh, Scott, and he came back out, and he said, in my entire career, I have never seen the most malnourished patient in my entire life. Mm. He went from when he went into the hospital October 29th. He weighed 210, and when he came and when he went to United Methodist, they weighed him at 180. Oh they said goodness. that he was severely no nutrition. He was severely hydrated. He was the amount of drugs that they had pumped into his body was so severe that he was very critical ill. And yeah, and so there was, and, you know, we tried. Yeah, but ultimately, unfortunately, tragically, Scott passed away um yeah and yeah. and and that's the real yeah. tragedy of it all it seems to me it, it, that mm-hmm. if if you'd been met with a little more cooperation mm-hmm. annie you might have had a different outcome who's to say oh uh, easily you know, i know, you know that without a shadow yeah. of a doubt yeah that i know that and i know that you know from and i just want to tell everybody you know if you get covid you know there are treatments that you can do to stay out of the hospital and if you do be careful because they're going to go in there and if they tell you sure enough you're you're separated from your family you're going to have anxiety you know and if they give you an iv they're going to start you know putting fentanyl they love fentanyl i'm going to tell you that right now Mm. they love fentanyl they love propofol you know and when i you know i mean i don't want to bring this up but michael jackson the protocol is very similar to what they gave scott Well, Annie, I know you've had a lot of expenses through this. I want to thank you for sharing your story. I hope folks will take heart, not just what I've encouraged people to do is don't just take what the hospital tells you verbatim, but to do your own due diligence, make your own decisions and and do your own research. Um, But I know you've had a lot a lot of experience or expenses through all this. And I know you've got a a give, send, go that's been set up. How can folks find you online and, and how can they find your give, send, go? Um, if you go to www.givesendgo, and then it's Scott Quiner, Q-U-I-N-E-R, it's a medical relief fund that we have for the LifeLink, the hospital, you know, I mean, you're talking ventilator for two and a half months, Yeah. you know, you know all the expense, basically all the medical expenses that I have, Yeah. you know. And, <laughs> and so I encourage, I encourage everybody listening to check out Give, Send, Go um, and, and to look for Annie, Annie Quiner, Q-U-I-N-E-R, and, and to contribute whatever you can. And you're, and you're going to continue to be working these issues, Annie, right? You're not, you're not just going to go quietly into the, into the, into the background, No. Right? Okay. Oh, no. No, I actually, because of this, I have hundreds of people that have contacted me. Yeah. And many of them are actually from Mercy Hospital. And I just met with a guy. He's actually a real estate kind of lawyer here in town. And he was in the hospital. He was the third floor from where Scott was. He went in with abdominal pain, and he had COVID, and they removed seven feet of intestine. Mm. And after he, they convinced him that it was um, that they had to remove him. There was nothing wrong with his intestines after wow. he had him checked out. Well, Andy, I'm following many people in the many. I mean, anyway, yeah, yeah, I'm following you on social media. So let's keep in touch. And anytime you want to come back okay. on the show and give us an update, we would love to hear from you. Sure. Okay. Thank you, Reese. I appreciate it. Okay. Yeah. 
you Thank take you care. Thank you for everything. God bless you. God Thank bless you. you. Thank you, Bye-bye. Annie. Folks, it's Annie Quiner here on Saturday Morning Coffee. And we'll be back with more right after these words from our sponsors. I'm Reese Boyd. Don't leave town. Jesse is a friend Yeah, you know he's been a good friend of mine But lately something's changed and ain't hard to find Jesse's got himself a girl I want to make her mine And she's watching him with those eyes And she's loving him with that body Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. And I want to thank Annie Quiney for joining us here on the program. What a story she has to tell. I mean, amazing. Very Uh, sad. Just a a, a tragic story, but she has uh, taken hope from her uh, tragedy and is is sharing her message and uh, educating folks all across the Fruited Plain about uh, the things you need to do and the things you need to be aware of if you have a family member who is hospitalized with COVID or COVID-like symptoms. So, you know, uh, this, we, go ahead. I was just going to say the sad part about that is she's not the only one. It's happened oh, no. hundreds and thousands of times. One wonders, uh, Glenn, if, if doctors, and we've said this on the show, I'll say this again, I've spoken to many doctors, I'm talking to doctors now, who are calling my office, uh, our offices at Davison Boyd, saying, look, we're sitting in on meetings and we don't feel like we can say what we want to say. Exactly. We don't have the freedom to express our professional medical opinion because of fear of the professional consequences. And a lot of reasons why some nurses and medical professionals have lost, left the profession. Yeah. You know, they had somebody from a cubicle or, or upper management telling the first-line workers what they can and can't do. Yeah. And the nurses knew what they should be doing, and they were told they couldn't do it. Folks who listen to this show know this already. I'll say it one more time. We've we've made the tragic mistake, Glenn, I think, and you'll agree, mixing politics with medicine. And and when you mix politics with medicine, you get politics. You know, whatever you mix with politics, you're going to get politics. And you mix politics with football, you're going to get politics. You mix politics with science, you're going to get politics. Politics is like the the blue red the, the blue food dye in the water, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it just takes over whatever you mix it with. And and I'm we're you know, we're talking to doctors who are calling us seeking our professional advice. Can I say this? Can I, you know, what are my options if I am in a staff meeting and I want to say, "Hey, we should be trying these therapeutics or we should be doing these things that we're not pushing." And why aren't we pushing them? Because we think they'll work. And as, back to your point, Glenn, how many people have died unnecessarily because somebody at CDC wrote a treatment protocol and that has been pursued as a one-size-fits-all approach right. to COVID? And if you deviate from that protocol, you're going to be reprimanded yeah. or fired or worse or disgraced. I mean, every medical professional knows that every you know, there's not a one-size-fits-all. No. We have different body types, different heights, different weights, different metabolisms. There's yeah. so many different things about the human body that it can't be one-size-fits-all. Yeah. And, and when we say that, likewise, we're not saying that hydroxychloroquine would cure everybody right. or any particular 
one-size-fits-all solution would cure everybody. But to do things the way we have done them and to shoehorn everybody into the same narrow protocols and not to give physicians the freedom to exercise uh, scientific methods in pursuing the best treatment options for their patients right. is, in my opinion, criminal. And Pfizer and Moderna, uh, I believe it was Moderna, they just announced they've nineteen billion dollars and an extra four billion from boosters or something like that. But you're looking at twenty some billion dollars that this company has made on the pandemic there in are, the last year. Yeah, there are a lot of pandemic billionaires, mm-hmm. and uh, unfortunately, folks, it's uh, it's a lot of politics, but. Speaking of politics, we could talk about that all day, yeah. but I'm, I'm uh, pleased to be joined here on the show today by an old friend. We've been talking about having uh, John on the show ever since, almost since we started uh, Saturday Morning Coffee, but I'm joined here finally. I have the privilege of sharing the studio with John Napier. John is a former U.S. congressman. Uh, he has uh, been many things through his uh, long and storied career. He's also been a federal judge. He's been a former U.S. Senate committee counsel. He's a former special outside counsel to the U.S. House of Representatives and uh, just an all-around wonderful and uh, a guy and a great human being. And he's also, by the way, John, a Davidson man who needs no introduction, And so, but I'll introduce him anyway because uh, we share that uh, common pedigree. We both graduate, graduated from Davidson College, but you know, I'm uh, just honored to have you on the show, John. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much, and I'm honored to be here. I followed your career. And you are a very distinguished lawyer and public servant. And thank you for all you do. Well, I I appreciate you saying that. You know, you and I always uh, try to get together once every six months, every year or so, and share a meal or or some uh, something. And it's always funny to me, John. You you are one of my uh, political heroes because I've had the political bug for many years. But I, I trace the uh, the sort of the origin of uh, of sort of my political bug back to when I was a kid. And I mean, like knee-high to a grasshopper elementary school kid and and we had just come through uh, or were going through operation uh, abscam that the fbi had uh, conducted and uh you were running i think in response to that our, one of our local congressmen at the time got kind of snared up in that and as a young kid i saw that well there's corruption i saw all this corruption that we, you know that was back in the day which is an interesting thing to reflect on when we would all gather around the television at 6 p.m. and watch 30, 30 minutes of news. And that was how we learned about the world, you know, and, and, and it was truthful back then. And yeah, it was a lot less political yeah. back then. Speaking of mixing politics with uh, journalism, but nonetheless, uh, that was uh, my uh, sort of political awakening. And, and about that time, I think in 1980, John, you ran for Congress, and you were the first uh, candidate, and I, I, I think I've told you this story many times. My mom and I went to your uh, local office down in Conway, and we got a bunch of your brochures, and we walked uh, our neighborhood, knocked on doors, and encouraged people to get out and support John Napier. And I think I've actually got somewhere at home tucked away. I've got one of those uh, 1980 brochures tucked away somewhere. Well, thank you for doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you, I don't think I ever got paid for that, by the way. <laughs> So you served in Congress, and uh, and and just tell me briefly what was what's it like uh, being a member of the U.S. Congress? What's your what's your favorite memory serving in Congress? Oh gosh, you know I think probably the most important thing I ever did was to help people, um, help people with VA problems or with Social Security problems. That's uh, that's work that uh, is very satisfying. Yeah. 
policy-wise, we, we had the tobacco program that was um, overarched everything I did mm-hmm. uh, because we were trying to uh, rewrite a, an agriculture program and uh, the tobacco program on which the small farmer and small towns were so dependent back in those days. Yeah. We were concerned about losing that program, and, and I worked uh, with Charlie Rose, who was my counterpart from over in Fedville, Wilmington, that area, and um, because that's, we had more tobacco allotments in this area than anywhere else. Oh, yeah. And um, being able to work on that was probably my uh, most uh, satisfying policy adventure. Yeah. You know, once a, when I was a kid, you know, uh, back in the day, 10 years old, six years old, however, you know, I remember, you know, riding around in O'Ree County, riding toward Florence, all you saw was tobacco. I mean, it was literally wall to wall tobacco everywhere. Was, everywhere there was cleared territory. Chances are you'd find some tobacco growing on. It was a linchpin of our economy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the farmers would go and make their loans, get their loans from the bank for the next year based on what they call price support programs. And so the price support allowed them to get those loans. If that program had ended, as some of the people in in the Congress wanted it to, in fact, it was a very, very close vote, but uh, it would have been a dramatic uh, problem for for our economy. You mentioned helping people, and I think that is so important. One of the things I remember, because I've never been elected to Congress, but I did spend some time in D.C. working on the Hill, and then I I worked for uh, former Governor Campbell when he was in D.C. I remember. Yeah, and so, but one of the people that I became, uh, worked with during that period of time was former Senator Strom Thurmond, obviously now gone, no longer with us. Um, And you know, I think one of the things that, that was a hallmark of, of Thurman's tenure, long tenure in the Senate, if you called his office, you got a response. And if you wrote him a letter, you got a response. And there probably wasn't somebody in South Carolina at that time that, that didn't have a family member that hadn't been helped by Thurman's office in some way. And I mean, they, they did not let a constituent request go un, unanswered. They just, they just didn't, because I, I worked on a few of those. And that was from his direct d- direction. Yeah. I mean, he, um, he wanted uh, constituent service to be his number one hallmark. Yeah. And it is. Um, it, it, through the years, I mean, that's the way he's remembered. Yeah. Um, it seems like we've missed a little. We, we're, we've, we're missing a little bit of that today in, well, in, in we, many ways. Is that, is we that, use the Internet today. Yeah. We, we, we have different dynamics at work. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's um, it's hard to get on the telephone and transact business in the way we transacted business yeah. 30 and 40 years ago. Yeah. And, and, and in fairness, there's a few more of us. There's more people. Absolutely. Yeah. So, folks, we're talking to former congressman and many other things, John Napier, local attorney and, and somebody who I greatly admire. And John, can you stick with us through another break? Absolutely. Yeah, we're just having a little talk about the old days and the good things and the bad things. And we'll be back after these uh, messages from our sponsors with more of John Appear. After these words, we'll be right back. Stick with us. I'm Reese Boyd. Don't leave town. Love's supposed to be. One, two, one, two, three. 
Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. Saturday, February 26th. Thanks for joining us here on Saturday Morning Coffee. Have the pleasure this morning of sharing the studio uh, with John Napier, former congressman, former U.S. Senate Committee Counsel, former federal judge, former special outside counsel to the U.S. House of Representatives, a storied uh, career in politics and law. Always enjoy speaking with John, and we've been talking, John, for quite a while about bringing you on the show, so I'm glad you could join us today. Thank you so much. I am really honored. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's all, the honor is all ours, and we were talking just before the break about one of our mutual uh, political uh, heroes. Uh, you worked for Thurman at, at one point in time, and, and uh, talked about what a, what a standing he has in the, in the history of South Carolina politics. And it seems as though something is a little bit lost in politics these days. Things are a little different now. I'm, I'm not even sure that Thurman would be able to do now what he did then. But, but what's, uh, what's, what's your take on the current status of politics in South Carolina and the country? Well, in the country and, well, and in South Carolina, we're somewhat dysfunctional. We, uh, we just... Uh, we've, I think we've lost our bearing yeah. uh, as a society, and that, that's troubling. And how do we get it back? Uh, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, but sometimes I wonder, do we romanticize about the past? And I'm sure there's some of that, but, mm-hmm. uh, but, but we, we don't seem to have a bearing on where we want to go as a country and we tend to find that we are very much uh, at disparate ends of, of the political pole. One of one of the things that uh, that I was able to do in my life uh, was to work uh, on a Senate committee mm-hmm. right uh, after Watergate, and uh, the Senate didn't have a code of ethics written or a code of financial disclosure. And um, I was fortunate enough to be the chief Republican counsel on that, uh, on that committee. And that gave me an opportunity to get to know uh, one of my heroes, mm-hmm. and that's Senator Howard Baker. He was ma- minority leader at the time. And he had two things. Was he from Tennessee? From Tennessee. Yep, okay. He had he said two things that, uh, that really impressed me and have stuck with me over the years. One, we ought to have citizen legislators, mm. people who Amen go to in, that. in and out of government and not professional politicians. <laughs> we'll give you a ding for that, John. Thank you. Amen. That's one of the things we talk about often on this show. Yeah, and, uh, and he said the second thing is, listen before you decide, the other fella just might be right. <laughs> and we don't do that in either respect today. Mm-hmm. We tend to have a re- reflexive way of thinking, rather th- reflecting up on what we're going to say and do. 
And we know what our positions are before people lay them out. Hmm. I think that's very true. You know, and, and I think you hit on two excellent points there. The first one, I'll, I'll ask this question. How do we get back? Because I think you're absolutely right. I think one of the huge problems that we see in our country today, particularly at the federal level, and even at the state level, is you see career politicians who get into politics at a young age, and they and then there's some there's some good public servants who have gone down this path. So I'm not saying that everybody sure. is a problem if you've been there more than you know five years. But the problem I see is there are too many people who are career politicians, and so they're more concerned about being reelected than anything else. And 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 that's a problem. First bill I introduced when I got there was a term limit limit bill and and i i'm a great believer in term limits i am too i am too and the second uh bill i introduced was a bill that says the congress should be under the same laws as everyone else and the reason amen to that (laughs) amen to that the reason i introduced that bill i remember the wires and the plugs and uh, the telephone cords yeah. that uh, were in all the offices where the staff worked yeah. when I was a staff member. We couldn't have passed an OSHA test if we had to. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, and they exempt themselves. They That's exempted, exempted themselves from Title VII. Everywhere you turn, you look at uh, their congressional exemptions all through the U.S. Code. And it really is, I think that's one of the key things. Congress should have to live under the regulations and the rules that they prescribe for the rest of them. And by the way, neither one of those saw the light of day. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that, John, and I've thought that, you know, and people, there, there's, I keep a list, you know, if I ever am in a position to do anything about it, I keep a list, of, a running list of things that we need. And, and term I, limits is term, at the top. Term right? limits is at the top. And, and I was not always a fan of ter- term limits. I've heard term limits described on the campaign trail as a bad idea whose time has come. I don't think the founding fathers anticipated that we would need term limits, but I don't think they anticipated people that would get elected right after college and, and spend their whole life in elected office. I just don't think they saw that as a, as something that people would even want to do. Well, we had a, excuse me, we had a different way of life, a a different lifestyle that's, that's evolved. And, um, professionalism in the federal government is not one that was envisioned. (laughs) (laughs) They certainly, I don't, they did not envision the administrative state. They didn't envision the power that would be uh, accreted at the federal level by people who none of us really know for the most part. We don't elect them. But, you know, one of the things I've come to view, and I don't know, you and I, I don't know that we've ever really discussed this aspect of it, John, but one thing that I've come to support is I mean I, on that list I have I think there's term limits uh, I think there's a balanced budget amendment I think that we need that people say well they don't follow the rules that are there already I said yeah but you can at least put it on the books you, you know they're not going to follow it if it's not there I think we need a legislative a one purpose one bill rule this idea of passing three thousand page bills that nobody has read and as nancy pelosi says well let's pass it so we can figure out what's in it yeah. and there's a million different provisions i think that's i think that's horribly destructive to democracy that gives a lot of power to the administrative state yeah and so i've kind of come and i don't not all of these would are addressed in the convention of the state's proposal that's been floating around for several years now but i've kind of i've kind of come around 
to support the idea of a convention of states simply because I think if, if we don't do something to push the states back up a little bit in the federal, in the balance of things in the federal system, we're probably never going to get some of these things. We're probably never going to get a term limits bill or amendment. We're probably never going to get a balanced budget amendment. Um, and these are things that we really need, you know, and I think these are, these are solutions that are just crying out, you know, we're, we're crying out in the wilderness. But, but Reese, you're, both you and I are members of the bar, mm-hmm. and we had to take the bar exam. I remember as a law school student preparing for the bar exam, I thought that was a, just an awful idea. <laughs> <laughs> I took the bar, passed it, and I thought it was the best idea in the world. <laughs> Once you pass, you're all for it. Yeah. There, there, there is, a, there is a, a great law called the Rufus Miles Law. Mm-hmm. And the Rufus Miles Law says where you stand depends upon where you sit. Where you stand depends on where you sit. Okay, right. I'm with you. And so sitting prior to the bar, I thought it was bad. Sitting after the bar, I thought it was a wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot Richardson used to tell this story very, very well. He was a uh, distinguished uh, attorney general. He was extinguished uh, Secretary of Health, Education, and Welfare, and uh, Secretary of Defense, and he's the one who was um, who refused uh, to uh, to fire uh, Archibald Cox in the Nixon uh, Watergate, yeah, Watergate matter. And uh, I got to know Elliot Richardson fairly well on a case we had, uh, had together later in life. He's a wonderful man, but um, he told me he said, you know. I could look at the same problem from my view as Secretary of Defense and have the same set of facts and look at it from my view as Secretary of Health, Education, and Welfare and the same set of facts and look at it as the Attorney General, and I may have three different viewpoints. It all depends on where you sit as to where you stand on something. What chair you're sitting in. That's correct. Well, John, it has been a pleasure talking to you uh, today. Thank you so much for coming in. I know we've been talking about this for a while. Any any parting wisdom you want to share with us or any final thoughts? I just appreciate the opportunity to be here with you, and uh, I've enjoyed being here. Well, you are you are a dear friend and a great American, and I thank you for uh, sharing your time with us this morning here on Saturday Morning Coffee, and, and come back anytime. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Folks, it's John Napier, a great American, former congressman, uh, joining us here on Saturday Morning Coffee. And we'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. I'm Reese Boyd. Don't leave town. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee. It is 
the parting wisdom segment of Saturday Morning Coffee. I want to thank you all for sticking with us here on the program. What a great time we had with John Napier in the studio. Absolutely. What a great guy. What a great American. What a great a, American. Yeah. A, a true gentleman and scholar, a man of uh, wit and, and wisdom. And not, uh, Glenn, he reminded us on the way out, our folks uh, on the radio did not get to hear this, on the way out the door, he reminded us that the people we discuss uh, in, in these political discussions that uh, our elected officials are just like us. Yeah. They, they put their pants on one leg at a time, and yeah. sometimes I think we venerate these people. We elevate them to positions that they really don't, don't need to be elevated well, and Some of them want that. Yeah. You know? I, mean, I think we live in a society that where too many people crave that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and are in politics for the wrong reasons, be it yeah. uh, self-aggrandizement or uh, self-enrichment. But what a great idea John uh, mentioned about how we need citizen legislators to come back and be more the norm than what they are today. So I want to thank John for joining us here on the show. Great American, true gentleman and scholar, uh, just a just a gentleman extraordinaire. I also want to thank Scott Pyle with Pyle Financial Services for sharing uh, his uh, take on the situation in Ukraine with us this morning. Morning, And I also want to thank Annie Quiner joining us uh, here on the program. Just a great, uh, just a great guest and a great story uh, who is sharing, taking her tragedy and turning it into a story that she can use uh, to minister to others. I encourage you guys to look up uh, Annie Quiner on Give Sin Go to follow her on social media. If you'll go to GiveSinGo.com and search for Quiner, Q-U-I-N-E-R, her medical fund will, uh, for her expenses, will will pop up and you'll be able to contribute uh, to her. And I, I encourage you guys to do that. It is the parting wisdom segment of uh, Saturday Morning Coffee this morning. I want to thank you all for joining us here on the show, sticking with us throughout the uh, program. This stack item this from the Parting Wisdom stack comes from the Epoch Times. This is Mike Dangia writing in the Epoch Times. It really resonated with me. He wrote an article uh, a month or two ago about just uh, 25 bits of life advice. And I read through it and it really resonated uh, with me. And a lot of it resonates with some of the things uh, that you've heard here on the show this morning. 25 bits of life advice, practical life advice that we can all uh, take some wisdom from, I think. Take, first idea, take simple ideas seriously. Take simple ideas seriously. Many of the problems that we face have simple solutions. Yes, they do. Um, (laughs) You know, I think... uh, like we just said, citizen legislators getting rid of career politicians. Simple idea to be taken seriously. Uh, next item, keep all of your endeavors as simple as possible. No extra happiness is awarded in life for taking the most creative route to your destination. <laughs> That's true. The old kiss principle, right. Glenn. Keep, keep it, it simple, simple stupid. stupid. Uh, third, item three, set hard limits on most pressure, pleasures. Don't let yourself be destroyed by your desires. Item four, relationships are the only pleasure that grows with exposure. Friendship is the only wealth that matters. And I've heard so many people share that to me over the years, Glenn. And the longer I live, the more I believe mm-hmm. that that is true. true. No, 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 no more truth has ever been spoken. Friendship is the only wealth uh, that matters. Do the real thing. Stop planning, reading, and learning about it. Get started before you're ready. Do the real thing. Uh, find a way to clear your mind and sleep. Oh, my goodness. This is advice that we all need. I need 
to heat. Even the best plans are derailed by a lack of rest. One of the most uh, practical ways to love others in your daily life is by being reliable and responsive. That's a great wisdom. Build new habits by starting small so that failure will not be likely. Build new habits by starting small, do it incrementally, and build on every little step. Next item, do the hardest things first. The little stuff will usually take care of itself. It's not rocket science. It's consistency. Keep showing up and doing the work, especially when you can't see the results. If results were instant or certain, everybody would be doing it. Everybody would be successful. Next item, be decisive. Not deciding almost always means a more complicated or painful decision later. Next item, spend less than you earn. Overspending is an avoidable source of misery. So, Lot, several bits of wisdom here from this wonderful piece in the Epic Times from Mike Dungey. I'll post a link to it on our Facebook page. I want to thank our guests again, uh, Scott Pyle, Annie Quiner, and John Napier. Thanks for you guys sticking with us here on Saturday Morning Coffee. Let me leave you with this last bit of parting wisdom from the Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Y'all have a great weekend, a great day. Be blessed and join us next week right here for more Saturday Morning Coffee. Waking up with Saturday morning coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5.